So the premise of this series is this. As our world becomes more and more uncivil, less tolerant, more arrogant, we Christians have an incredible opportunity to show the light in the darkness. And, 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 and somebody said this, and I thought this was absolutely true. My fear is this, that we are not evangelizing the world. The world is evangelizing us. When you do survey after survey after survey, there is vir- virtually no distinction between those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and those who don't. We have a great opportunity. I believe one of the most powerful ways to show the world the truth of the gospel is to treat others, especially difficult people, with tolerance, civility, and humility. Our job isn't to condemn them or chastise them. Unbelievers, uh, that's not our job. Our job is to humbly look within our hearts to see if we are living as followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to be the church that God has called us to be. Even when we disagree with people. Look at what Paul says. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside. And I think that's kind of where we get it backwards. We're, we're, we're more than happy to judge those outside the church for their lifestyle or behavior or whatever it is. But we play pretty loose and fast about those within the church. And we make exceptions and you know exceptions to the rules. But I think, and this is what I want to talk about this weekend, there's something even more concerning to well it's maybe it's similar there's something within that that i think that that it's missing within the church today and i think the most troubling thing about it is i think most of us don't even know it's missing (laughs) i think it's a part of the church that we desperately need but i think it's a part of the church that we can live without If you're baffled by what that is, let me read you a quote by uh, A.W. Tozer. I used to call him Bulldozer (laughs) because that's kind of the way he wrote. He's just right in your face. Here's what he says. This is a quote by A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. It's pretty clear, right? I believe that's true. I believe today the church, and I would include Hope Church, we're missing His Holy Spirit. Notice that God makes this promise back in the Old Testament. He he says, not only will a Messiah come, but there's somebody who's going to come. The Spirit of God is going to come. He says this in Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take uh, out the stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit 
in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In other words, what, what, what God is saying in is that all through the Old Testament, he had the Old Testament to Ten Commandments, and, and the people just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. They didn't have the heart to follow God. And so God says, well, I need to give you a new heart. Not only that, I need to give you my spirit who will dwell within you. So we come to the main passage we want to look at, Acts chapter 1. This is on page 830. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And on page 830, I want to read uh, basically uh, from verse 4 of chapter 1. Because this is uh, one of the last times that Jesus was with his disciples here on earth after the resurrection. And here's what Jesus says. Once... When he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? You see, what's going on here is they're saying, is this the time where you're going to be the king of kings and lord of lords and throw off Rome? They're not getting the point. No, it's not. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're trying to be on point and talk about something and they're just not getting it? And you you must have gotten frustrated. But what does he say? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. We're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcoming committee. And they are not for you to know. Even though there's a bunch of uh, pastors and teachers that say they know when Jesus is coming back. But, he says this, and this is the key phrase, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem through Jerusalem. Throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that one eight chapter verse one, uh, ch- chapter one verse eight. That's a key for the whole book of Acts. Basically, tells you the, what's going to happen as the gospel goes out first to the Jews and then to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles, the uttermost parts of the earth. So God takes a, a group of uneducated, ragtag, simple men. Um, he fills them with His Holy Spirit. And these men went from cowering, fearful uh, men hiding in, in rooms to being fearless witnesses of Jesus Christ, willing to give their lives. What was the transformation? Well, the transformation was the Spirit of God within them. The Spirit of God within them. Now, there's a couple of things that are very interesting. Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room discourse, that means just when they were in the upper room, and Jesus taught them, you know, and they they culminated it with the Lord's table. And he he basically said a a number of things. He prayed for them, and he did. But one of the things he did was he said, I no longer will be with you, but I'm going to send one just like me who will not be with you. He will be within you. He will dwell in you. So it's a different kind of relationship. Not, it's not Jesus, we're with Jesus, is going to be now the Spirit of God within us. The power of God within us. And I believe we, the church, are in a desperate need for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit today. But here's the problem. Some churches, and I would say, kind of like hope, 
can tend to be cemeteries, while others are closer to insane asylums, as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned. That's the problem. We're very quick to, to call out errors on the insane asylum, but the insane asylum can point to the cemetery and say, well, there's no life there, and they've got a point. I believe the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is missing in us, in His church today. That's my concern. Now, why is that? Number one, I think it's because he's being replaced. I think within our charismatic and Pentecostal brothers and sisters, the church, the signs and wonders movement especially, is distorting the true ministry of the Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of confusion out there. And I want to clear some of that up. And I don't have time. I could do, like, oh, I could do weeks of this. I could do, go on for but we don't have time. I just want to jump through a few things. Uh, for example, what does the Bible teach about the filling of the Holy Spirit? We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. What are we talking about there? Well, Scripture teaches that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs when every, within every believer at the time of salvation. It's not a second blessing. And that's one of the key points the Pentecostals and the Charismatics would say. Uh, you receive Jesus, but then you get a, a, like, almost a booster shot, a second dose, a second blessing, and then the Holy Spirit really comes upon you. And um, I just want to show you a couple of passages where I don't think, where I think that's kind of not taught. First uh, Corinthians twelve thirteen says this. Paul says, "Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free." But we all, we all have been baptized into one body by one Spirit. We share the same Spirit. What Paul point there? We all have the Spirit. Just like Jesus said, you will receive the Holy Spirit. He will come upon you in power. Uh, in Romans 8, 9, it says, Those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Jesus is basically saying, you either have the Spirit or if you don't. You either have Him or you don't. It's not like... You get saved, and then you, you come to Christ, and then all of a sudden you have a second blessing, and then you get the Holy Spirit. No, you either have the Spirit or you don't. Paul says that, that, that we all have been baptized into one body, one Spirit, and we share by one Spirit, and we share the same Spirit. Now, some of you may be pushing back. You say, wait, 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 hold on. What about the book of Acts? Uh, there are times when you read in the book of Acts, where it looks like they're believers and then they get the Holy Spirit comes upon them. In fact, there's a couple, one time where he says, have you received the baptism? What baptism have you received? Well, we received the baptism of John. And it says, well, now receive the baptism of Jesus. And all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues. So what do you say? Are you saying they're not believers? Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, there are times when the Holy Spirit seems to come upon uh, them after they are believers and so that's where the, our charismatic brothers and sisters would say see there it is right there this the second blessing of the holy spirit now, i don't have time to go in into detailed study but i will say a few things about that the first thing i'll say is this generally it's not a good bible study method to take a historical narrative like the book of acts and build a doctrine on it now what do i mean by that I mean that there, the, the, what, what Luke is doing in the book of Acts is he's describing how the church, how the gospel is going to all the world, how it's going to, 
the Jews and then the Samaritans and then the Gentiles. That's what he's describing. Uh, how it's going from one people group to the other. And one of the big, one of the big debates in, Acts 15, in, in, the, in the book of Acts is Acts 15. And are the Gentiles in? And, and how are they in? So it's all about who gets the gospel. That's essentially what's going on in the book of Acts. So it's a transitional book. The gospel's going out. And, and let's be honest, we don't, do, we, we don't follow all the teachings of the, new, of, of the book of Acts, do we? We don't. They met every day for worship. They had what we call love feasts where they would have these communal meals together and then it would culminate in, in the, the Lord's table. They, they sold their possessions so that the poor would have enough. I mean, they, they, they radically did things different than we do today and we don't follow those things. So it's, it's, it's not a good practice to take um, a transitional book like the book of Acts where we're seeing the gospel go out and say, well, that's how we should do it today. Secondly, if you do a careful study of the book of Acts, you see that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes, like they, they seem to know Jesus and they have faith in Him, uh, but then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When does it happen? Well, we know what happens in Acts chapter 2. What's happening in Acts chapter 2? The gospel is going to the Jewish people, the Hebrews, right? The next time you see that is in Acts chapter 8, and you see a similar uh, manifestation of the Spirit. What's happening there? The gospel is going to the Samaritans. Who are the Samaritans? They are half-breeds, half-Gentile, half-Jew. What do we see the next time? The next time in Acts chapter 10. What's happening in Acts chapter 10? The gospel is going to the Gentiles. What is the sign? What sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit there is the speaking of tongues. What are they doing there? They're showing the apostles that, yes, the gospel goes to the Jews. It also goes to the Samaritans. It also goes to the Gentiles. In fact, one of the things that they, the statements they make in the, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 is they spoke in tongues just like us. They must be in. You see, Paul is showing how the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is to go to all nations. Remember, go back to, I said, remember I said Acts 1.8 is a critical chat, a verse. Notice what he says. He says, you'll be my witnesses telling uh, people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the othermost parts of the world. You see what's going on? We see the Jews, then the Samaritans, then the Gentiles. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was when it hit another people group. We have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. It's a transitional book. It's not a book to build a doctrine on. Secondly, Scripture does not teach that every believer will experience a second blessing characterized by speaking in tongues. And this is, uh, again, another teaching of the Charismatic Pentecostal Church that basically says that one of the signs that you've received the second blessing of the Holy Spirit is you speak in a, in, a, in a different tongue. You speak in a different tongue, right? But notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in an un, unknown language? Do we all have the ability to interpret un, un, unknown languages? And what's his reply? Of course not. So... Um, this idea that everybody who, and what it does too is it sets up a two-tier system. We have the elect, the ones that are really blessed because they have the baptism and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and the rest of us schmucks. Now, now, we need to correct 
what, what is going on here. Because I, I still believe that there is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that we, the more stoic, the more less supernatural, can, can tend to push the Holy Spirit to one side and become a cemetery. And, and, and there is, however, firm evidence for the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, I believe that what, what the New Testament teaches is that once you, you cross that line of faith and Jesus gave his life to you and you give your life to him, you acknowledge you're a sinner, you desperately need him as, as your Savior and you call upon the name of the Lord, at that moment you are baptized into the body of Christ and you immediately receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the way it happens. But you can be filled by the Holy Spirit and not filled by the Holy Spirit. You can be under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. My fear is, and what A.W. Tozer, I think, is alluding to is, that as a Christian and as a church, we can walk around not under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not even notice. And yet the early church would know the moment they were not under the influence of the Holy You read the book of Acts and Peter and John and the other Stephen and the other apostles are walking in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. They are different people because the Spirit of God is just controlling them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is coming out. That's what you see. But notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. You are baptized once. You are filled over and over and over and over. You are saved once, but you, you do the communion table over and you recommit your life. It's, it, it's, it's a similar thing. The baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit are two different experiences. The baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at conversion once, once one time. The filling of the Holy Spirit takes place over and over throughout the Christian's life. My fear is, my concern is, that we are not walking in the Spirit. We're not keeping in step with the Spirit. We are grieving the Spirit. We are quenching the Spirit by our, our, our life. See, in the church of Corinth, it's very interesting. You read 1 Corinthians. It had all the gifts of the Spirit. Prophecy, healing, tongues. It had all the gifts of the Spirit. But then, the thing that it didn't... And by the way, Paul was fairly critical about them. In fact, he was critical about them as far as how they were doing the Lord's table. He was giving them corrections. I mean, the church of Corinth wasn't really the church that we hold up to and say, that's what I want to be. <laughs> no, learn from their mistakes was more what, it, what, 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 what Paul was saying there. You see, the church, of the, Corinth, the church of Corinth had all the gifts of the Spirit, but it was lacking the fruit of the Spirit. Do you realize that chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks in chapter 12 and chapter 14 and chapter 13 about the spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, healing, do you know in the middle of that he puts chapter 13 and what's chapter 13 all about? If you've ever been to a wedding, you know what it's about. You don't love one another. You can have the gifts of the Spirit but not display the fruit of the Spirit. Well, how does that work? Well, not very well. So uh, they had all the sign gifts. They had tongues, healing, prophecy, but they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Paul tells us this. Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. 
My fear is, my concern is, that we are operating apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. We're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, Paul, in that chapter in Galatians, contrasts the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, you read what he says about fruit of the flesh, and he'll say, if you're ever demonstrating those, you know at that moment you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you are showing the fruit of the Spirit, and you are responding to people differently, and you say, I don't know how, why I'm, I'm being civil. I don't know why I'm being, um, why I'm being um, tolerant. I don't know why I'm being, you know, humbling myself. I don't know why I'm, I'm showing patience and kindness and, and, and gentleness to this person who is being very arrogant and mean. And It's because the Holy Spirit is controlling you. The power of the Holy Spirit. See, as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and control us, we will see a new power from God to operate within us and through us. The other thing I want to say about this is there's a lot going on within churches today that have nothing at all to do with the Holy Spirit. Gold dust falling down from the ceiling. Feathers, apparently, and I'm not joking about this, this is serious. Feathers that apparently have the angels have lost I don't get it. I don't understand it. People barking like dogs. Holy laughter. People laying on the ground and just cackling. Laughing like hyenas. I remember when I was... uh, I don't even know if I was a believer at this point. I was in high school. And there was a faith healer. One of these guys that came into town. I think he might have come to the school, but he said, well, I'll be here and you should go. So uh, me and a bunch of my friends went. And uh, I had a friend named Bruno. And at the end, he, the, the, the teacher said, come on up and we'll, we'll lay hands on you and you'll receive the, the, the Holy Spirit. And I, my friend Bruno went up and he got slayed in, slain in the spirit. That's where the pastor touches you and you just kind of fall down. You know, you just boom, you know, and he came back and I didn't go up because I was like creeped out by it. Okay, but he came back and I said, what was it like? And he said, oh, so cool. He said, I'm going up again. And he did. He went back up again and got slain in his spirit another time. But um, again, I'm not trying to make light of this. I'm just saying that you can turn on YouTube, any channel, and you can see some of this stuff going on. My question is, what does this have to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I've had people say to me, I invited my friend to come with me to Hope. And I said, oh, really? And I said, well, where do you go to church? Well, they go to a different church. And I said, well, why don't you take them there? And this is their word. I don't want to take them because they'll get creeped out. I got a problem with that. I I don't think that's what the Holy Spirit wants. Today, it seems like a lot of Christians, though, are more fascinated with the visible, odd manifestations rather than the real power and presence of the Holy Spirit. What was the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit for in the book of Acts? It was to legitimize that these people were followers of Jesus Christ, and one of the signs was they spoke in 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 a different tongue. That was what it was for. Too many Christians have made tongues, miracles, and prophecy the thing. I mean, it's the thing. 
It's like the thing that they're always pushing. They're always talking about this and this and this. And it, it's the thing. The spiritual gifts have become the main focus of many of these Pentecostal and charismatic churches. And again, I'm not trying to pick on them. I'm just saying this is the problem I have. But when you study the New Testament, the miraculous gifts are used by the apostles always to lay the groundwork for the gospel. Over and over again, you read, when the Spirit of God manifested, God added many to the church. But it wasn't because there was bizarre behavior going on. It was because the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit was actually coming out. I'm concerned today about people in the signs and wonders movement. I'm concerned about a number of things. I'm concerned about new revelations from God. I'm concerned about people who are getting up and saying, God spoke to me on the level of Scripture. I'm concerned about that. Because as far as I know, I have Scripture. And when I hear what you're saying that supposedly came to you from God, I don't see that at any at all near what Scripture says. And I don't, I don't believe God is... is, is is, takes a fancy that when we add or subtract from His Word. I, I'm concerned about the healing abuses. People are being taught that healing is an, is an inherited right of all two, true Christians who call upon the Lord in genuine faith. Basically, what, what, what is being taught in many of these circles is that if you are a believer and if you have faith, God will heal you. There is healing in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if someone's not healed, the failure falls on them, not God. And what do these teachers do? They leave a path of broken and deeply wounded and defeated Christians who blame themselves for their situation. I'm not healed because I just don't have enough faith. And these teachers would say something, well, well, Jesus healed everyone who came to him. If you're not healed, it's because your lack of faith. That's what they say. Think about this. And my problem with that logic is this. Did everybody who come to Jesus to be healed have faith? No, they didn't. In fact, there was one man who said, please heal my son. And Jesus, Jesus commented on his lack of faith. And he says, help me for my lack of faith. But he still healed the man's son. See, it had nothing to do with his faith. Sometimes we, we gin up faith and we say, uh, you have to have this level of faith, and if you don't have this level of faith, I can't do anything with you. The last time I checked, it's, it's not how much faith we have, it's who we place our faith in. And there's another, there's another point along these lines. Of course I believe that there's healing in the atonement. Of course I believe God still heals today. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you, you, in the same way that we're promised a resurrected body one day, we don't demand it today, do we? I don't. I know that one day it's coming, but I know it's not today. Well, isn't healing sometimes on that level? I want to propose that it is. Should we demand healing now? The last time I checked, our bodies are dying. And frankly, if you did get healed, what, is, what, what does it do anyways? You're just delaying the inevitable. You're all, we're all going to die one day. Essentially, Right? Now, again, this doesn't mean that God can't or doesn't heal today. But it, it means that healing isn't always God's will for us. In fact, I want to propose another reason why God may not heal you today. Sometimes God allows us to suffer 
Did you know that in your suffering you can be drawn closer to Him? Here's a question I want to ask you. This is a difficult question. And I even asked myself and I said, I don't know how I would answer this. Would you choose suffering or, or over healing if suffering would bring you closer to God? Would you choose suffering over healing if suffering brought you closer to God than healing would? Well, Paul had that struggle. This is a first, Second Corinthians chapter 12. Notice what he says. I don't want to give anyone I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan that tormented me and kept me from being proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, "My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness." So now I am glad to boast in all about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the, in the insults, hardship, persecution, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It doesn't sound like a prosperity healing type of a message, does it? Now, does it, is that truly all the time that all God wants to do is make us suffer so that he can glorify? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's a possibility that sometimes God allows us to go through suffering so that we can shine brighter for Him. But let me talk about our side of the aisle because I believe this is a concern. I believe one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit... So we said that sometimes the, the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit can... The, the way it's portrayed can look like an insane asylum, but sometimes the lack of it can almost look like a cemetery. And, and I think that's the concern. Because I think that if, if there's an error that our side, that, that, that hope may be in churches like us, it's that we have neglected the Holy Spirit. We as a church can be stoic, cerebral, and spiritless. I'm fearful that we have determined that the filling of the Holy Spirit is for someone else, not me. The victorious Christian life can't be lived apart from the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit. The difference in the apostles was very clear. It was that they went from being men who were hiding to men who were bold and brazen and in your face. And the difference was the power of the Holy Spirit within them. It was that difference that made all the difference. My concern is that I think many of us are trying to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed within us. I think we, the, the biggest concern I have is that we think we can live without it. We can't. I am worried that we as Christians, we as his church, are making him sick to his stomach. Um, turn over to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. So uh, John, in his letter, writes to seven churches. Some people say, well, they're, they're talking about the different church, church ages. Don't really care. Not really my concern tonight. But he talks to the, about the church, to, to the church of Laodicea. And he, he basically describes the church of Laodicea. This is what he says. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. 
Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, the Greek word there literally means to vomit. So I, was, I picked this passage when I was at Moody, and I was in one of my first sermons in preaching. And they said, well, get creative titles for your um, sermons. So my title for the sermon was, Wallowing in the Vomit. <laughs> the professor didn't like it. He says, well, it gets the point across, but it's a little bit over the top. But that's essentially what Jesus is saying, is you are so cemeterial, you are so not of the Spirit. You are so neither hot nor cold. You are just like, you make me sick. Can you imagine that God's church would make him sick? And I fear that we may. I fear that we may. Spiritless churches. Spiritless Christians. Christians that are not being filled. Jesus basically said to his disciples, you are going, I'm going to leave you alone, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And he won't be with you. He will be within you. And, and it's like the greatest gift that Jesus could give us. And it's almost like we're saying, ah, whatever. Again, we can, we can easily point our fingers at the abuses of churches and teachers who are hijacking the Holy Spirit with bizarre behavior, but are we willing to look at our powerless lives and show no hint at all of the Holy Spirit within our lives? Are we good with that? Better not be. So can we talk? Can we talk about the Holy Spirit? Can we say, yes, there's abuses over on the one side, but there's maybe an emptiness, a barrenness that we've just kind of come to expect and allow and say it's okay and maybe say, no, it's not okay. Can we come to that place? Because I think we have to. If we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we have to say, come Holy Spirit, fall fresh on me. You don't have to be rebaptized, but you may need to be filled. The first step of filling is confession. So would you stand with me as I pray a prayer, and maybe these words will reflect your heart. Father, forgive us for our pride, our independence, and our lack of concern for your Holy Spirit. You have given us such an incredible gift. We have quenched. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We have sinned against you. We have sinned against him. We need a fresh filling of your spirit. We ask for your patience and your mercy. May your Holy Spirit find a new place in our hearts and lives. May you fill us with your spirit. And may we as your followers be different because your spirit dwells within us. May we walk in the Spirit.
May we be filled by your Holy Spirit. May we demonstrate the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit to a world that desperately needs to see it in us. Father, forgive us, fill us, come Holy Spirit, fall fresh on me. We pray this in Jesus' name.